Hello, my name is Rob Woods and welcome to episode 17 of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. This is the show for anyone who works in charity fundraising and who wants ideas for how to really enjoy their job, raise more money and make a bigger difference. And if you're searching for ideas to strengthen your relationships with supporters or to help them connect with your cause at a deeper level, then I think you'll find today's episode really interesting because today we're looking at experiential fundraising. By this, I mean creating an event or some other way of supporting that includes an experience that makes it easier for supporters to get an insight into your cause. Obviously, it's possible for someone to attend a pub quiz or fun run and hear inspiring stories. But what if the fundraising proposition itself makes this kind of connection to your cause more likely to happen? For this episode, I was delighted to be able to talk to Di Gornall, an outstanding fundraiser who is the director of fundraising at Centerpoint. I was keen to talk to Di to find out about their very successful Sleep Out event. From the outside, it makes sense to me that a charity addressing homelessness should be doing so well through an event that involves supporters spending a cold night outside without the comforts of home in the middle of November. But I wanted to hear Di's perspective on why it works so well and how she makes sure it's not disrespectful or tokenistic and to see if there are some insights that can be applied to charities with a completely different kind of cause. I really enjoyed hearing Di's take on how to make experiential fundraising work and I hope that you do too. This episode of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast is brought to you by the Bright Spot Members Club. As a practical alternative to one-off conferences and courses whose impact can fade all too quickly, the Members Club is an online resource that gives you ongoing access to a whole library of video training courses, monthly coaching webinars and live training events. It's all designed to help you learn, enjoy your job and raise more money. To join the 300 fundraisers already in the club, or just to find out more, go to brightspotfundraising.co.uk. Well, hello, Di Gornall. How are you? Hello, I'm very well. How are you, Rob? Very well, thank you. It's the end of another busy week, but I'm very well, thank you. And I'm ever so excited to be talking to you on the podcast. Thank you for making time for it. Just before we move into the the key content, I just want to for the, the listeners to understand your role. So you and I, I think we first worked together when you were at uh, what was then Arthritis Care. You were director of fundraising there, and then that became Versus Arthritis, but now you're director of fundraising at Centerpoint. Is that right? That's right. And I've been there just over 18 months, something like that. So it still feels relatively new, believe it or not. Yeah. Yeah. So one reason I was really keen, keen to talk is we spoke the other day and I was so, so pleased for you and the team. It's still a relatively difficult fundraising environment out there. And yet I, I gather that, that you and your team at, at Centrepoint should be very pleased with yourselves because income is growing. Congratulations. Thank you. And in particular, I wanted to spend this podcast thinking about the, the concept of experiential fundraising. I know experiential marketing is a, a new buzzword out there. But what I really mean like by this is if there's something about your event or, or your fundraising proposition, which in some way links uh, and is relevant to your cause uh, mm. or your charity, more than something more generic like doing a marathon or having a bake sale. And in particular, I was interested in your sleep out and how well that's doing uh, and your thoughts about why it might be doing so well and, w- and what the listeners could learn from that, the concept of, of making things really fit 
between the fundraising proposition and whatever uh, cause they're at. So initially, how is your sleep out going? How is the, the most recent one? Yeah, great. So back in November was our last sleep out. We had six events across the UK, two in London and four outside of London. And across the board, we're seeing an increase in gross income, um, not across all events, but across across the portfolio, we have seen income rise and, and at a reasonable rate, 8% across the across the portfolio. Um, we had some additional costs this year, we had additional competition in the marketplace. So that did take a hit on net, but we understand why that is because we had additional costs we we needed to manage so we're pretty comfortable with that but the gross increase this year definitely makes me believe that this is something we just need to keep investing in and keeping on top of and being really clear across the UK and those different events making sure that we really understand the audiences because one of the, the challenges but also opportunities is that the events attract different audiences and I think for the purposes of this podcast worth me talking more about what we do in London and Manchester, which is really a corporate audience um, where teams come along and take part. And the London one, for example, has been established now for 15 years. So it's had a long time to grow. Um, but nevertheless, we're still invest in, you know, in uh, innovating within that space. So I think it'd be interesting for, for listeners to hear a bit about that, which would be good. Great. And so in a, in a moment, I'd, I'd like to un- unpick the, you know, what, why you think this kind of event right now is likely to to be more successful for you than events which you know have no overt link to your cause but just before we get into that um maybe we can imagine what this event consists of but at its simplest could you just state how how that event works yeah so people sign up in the usual way and what they're signing up for is a night that um is, is essentially an evening, a night of uh, sleeping without the benefit of a bed. They're protected from the very harshest of elements because there is a, a marquee, but essentially are sleeping um, on pretty rough terrain without any heating. Um, and they don't leave the site usually until sort of five in the morning, by which time they're pretty cold and tired. So the aim of the event isn't to mimic rough sleeping, and I think that's really important to emphasize but it is aiming to bring people closer to the cause of homelessness and trigger people in terms of thinking about some of the challenges that they might experience so we know people tell us you know one one participant was saying how even from when the point where she left her front door she was feeling some of that shame and embarrassment about having her you know sleeping bag with her on the bus the fact that she was wearing quite rough clothes to come in because it can be quite muddy um, and not feeling like a professional anymore, feeling very much as though she was in a different part of society from the people that were also traveling by bus and and tube and in in a very different space. So right from where people leave their front door to arriving at site and then having a tough night and cold night's sleep, I think it really triggers an emotional response in a lot of individuals which which is really helpful for us in terms of then uh, relationship building and then people's longevity with Centrepoint. So what I find so interesting about that story you've said and I think this gets to the heart of just why there might just be something so powerful 
and different to many other fundraising events and propositions is intellectually she shouldn't be thinking that she still has a safe home mm-hmm. she still has you know some presumably some level of income she's not going to be in any danger that evening no she, you know deep down uh, she, she has things that enable one to to survive and do do well in life but just the act of you know i guess it's just like in a, a powerful role play or, where, or if you any of our listeners do amateur dramatics just the act of inhabiting a slightly different character for li- literally a few hours has a weird power to affect a human being and cause them to get different insights and think and feel differently compared to if they just read about it or talk about it intellectually. Exactly. I think that's absolutely true. And it's, and it gives, and, and people going outside of their comfort zone in that way on that evening means that when people arrive at sleep out, they are in a space where they are almost, they're all slightly outside their comfort zone. They're all slightly uncomfortable. They don't really know how they're going to survive that evening in terms of um, the cold, in terms of how they feel. Um, uh, and and that brings a great together- togetherness within that group of people um, experiencing a similar discomfort all at the same time, um, uh, all in aid of, you know, a really amazing cause. Yeah. And, and so do you think someone getting involved in this kind of event for you compared to someone you know, doing a bake sale or, or doing a, a, a fun run or something. Um, have you noticed that that extra aha moment and comment, communal, we, we were uncomfortable, but we did it together. Have you noticed that that um, makes it easier for to get people to sign up or easier to get people to collect sponsorship after the event? Or do you, I don't know, the level of analysis, do people tend to get sponsored more for this kind of, event than for others i don't know how much analysis is possible but with or without the analysis what's your observation as to the various fundraising benefits because mm. you know, it, it's harder to do this kind of event than to many other things but, but why do you think it might might be worth it in your case yeah so the average gift for sleep out is not dissimilar to something like a half marathon let's say and actually Um, for a half marathon, most people have to train for months, you know, whereas for sleep out, this is one night, which is uncomfortable and outside your comfort zone and slightly disorientating, but it is only one night. So those things balance themselves off and an average gift comes in at, you know, a few, between three and 500 pounds usually. I think though, the really great benefit for Centrepoint is that during the evening, the people who are there learn a lot about homelessness. The team are going around and talking to everybody first and foremost, but also we have young people there talking about their experiences and we have staff who work with young people talking about some of the issues those young people are experiencing. Um, So there's a real emphasis on ensuring that people leave understanding more. I think the other thing that happens is that often very early in the morning, so people have you know, last uh, last November, somebody was talking about their experiences when they woke up and just being so grateful that they had a shower to go to, that they had a home to go to, that they had a purposeful day in front of them. And think they were thinking specifically about somebody who didn't have anywhere to go 
at best can probably go and keep warm in McDonald's or somewhere like that. Um, when actually, uh, and with nothing to do, you know, particularly between five and eight before the world awakes. So, you know, uh, that period of time is quite, quite challenging emotionally, I think, for quite a lot of people there where they're thinking about how lucky they are in their lives and actually how challenging that is if you are either rough sleeping or homeless at that point without a structure to your day that you can really, really get hold of. So all of that together makes this a really brilliant platform for, for developing longer term relationships, whether that's with individuals, if it's a more community focused event or the corporate event where we're looking for new business in terms of our corporate pipeline. And, and what we find is that the conversations that we're having with people who come to Centrepoint who are new is actually it's really easy to get a follow up coffee. Um, they're there, they're team building, they've got their team around them and you go up and you thank them for being there. You know, you're hoping that they have a really, um, really uh, interesting and experiential night uh, and that we would love to speak to them and have a coffee in the new year. Is that possible? Can we set a date? And, and actually it makes that whole conversation really, really positive. Um, partly because, of course, it's also a very laid back relaxed atmosphere everybody is in you know jeans and trainers um and it's not a a business meeting where you're having to negotiate that it's very much a very relaxed environment that you can really have to start developing really good relationships yeah yeah i, I gather some of your other events around the country are are more community focused and, and less about the corporate but if we could just stick with the corporate one for now is there anything else you've learned or discovered that might help the listeners, uh, even if the event or, or, or tactic they, they come up with isn't so experiential like this, but anything else you've discovered in terms of generating that first cup of coffee, that first interesting conversation with a corporate, anything that, that you know your, 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 your team have learned or they're, they're doing to help increase the chances of getting that coffee or that when they get to the coffee, how they make use of and refer back to, for instance, the stories... Uh, I don't know what it might be, but any mm. discoveries mm. you might think might be interesting to help us get that first coffee? Yeah, so I think for us, we definitely resource up that night and we are very clear who we expect to steward whom. And right from the word go, people are stewarded onto site. So when people arrive, a, corp a corporate fundraiser usually, but also other volunteers from across the um, organisation, will actually take those individuals to their sleeping quarters, show them around the site, um, talk them through the evening, and already start the discussion about next steps. Because actually, if you imagine that you're in essentially a field with um, a couple of very large marquees, uh, and everybody in November with a woolly hat on and a very large coat, it's actually very hard to know who you should be stewarding later on. And so that very early doors stewardship when people arrive and you know what organization they work for um, and you know what the next steps need to be in terms of that relationship those are really key moments when they first arrive to make sure you have that that initial conversation yeah and so uh, surprise surprise one of the keys is just being really organized and getting the detail right of who meets who getting that wrong could start a relationship personally or with the charity off on the really on the wrong foot 
but working hard to get it right and pay attention to it, it sounds to me like it makes all the difference. And then you're already you're you're starting a just starting to get to know people and, and starting a relationship. Absolutely that. And I suppose it's worth noting, of course, that then yeah, you know, you need the follow through afterwards. And of course, everyone's pretty tired, but actually the event itself is great. But a lot of the benefit of sleep out is what happens next in that corporate domain and having enough people to then also pick up the phone and follow up and make sure that they all happen is, is yeah, really important. Yeah. yeah I was also really interested that, that you work hard to make the event as interesting as possible. So that requires work to quite deliberately arrange for people to be there giving talks or, or people who have been sleeping rough in the past, explaining their situation. All of that takes care and, and, and hard work to get right. At its simplest, I think for the listeners, I know that not all charities can arrange volunteering opportunities at all anyway, but I know of some charities where they do have volunteering opportunities, for instance, come and sort clothes in our warehouse for our shops or whatever. And I've noticed how often that that, that volunteering experience is really dull and underwhelming. A couple of the charities I've worked with have just worked harder at, at bringing in someone who knows about the cause to give an interesting talk or as part of the day, sort the clothes alongside you. Seems to me um, not all of our listeners can have such a perfect match event as you've got, but they can do some of what you're doing. Whatever opportunity, there, you know, be it marathons or bake sales or whatever, a little more hard work to, to um, create storytelling and Q&A opportunities during whatever event it is, can go some way actually to making something experiential. Absolutely, I agree with you. And for us, that's a fundamental part of the evening actually, in terms of making sure that, that people really go away understanding more than they did when they arrived about, about the cause. And actually without, without a strong basis for developing the relationship, you know, we, we would struggle to get those follow-up follow up coffees. So. Yeah, that's a that's a fundamental part, really. And I suppose it's worth saying that Sleep Out um, for Centrepoint is this amazing collaboration across across the organisation. So the events fundraising team drive all the logistics for Sleep Out in London and elsewhere. But uh, the corporate team do all the marketing and all the relationship side. And the events team see no money, actually, from Sleep Out. Um, but we use their skills to drive to drive the logistics of the event. And then obviously within our service delivery functions, working closely with them, we are able to then provide the first-hand stories of young people, have young people there, have some of our frontline staff available to talk to participants and, and, and that sort of um, side of sleep out. So it does require quite a bit of um, internal logistics and handling and really great cross-organizational communication to pull that off and actually this year, more than any other year, I'd say, we, we did that um, really well. And, and, and the team played a great part in making sure that everyone understood their roles and responsibilities in order to pull it off. Well yeah. done. And, you know, such things shouldn't be that hard work. Uh, but the reality of the way people and organisations work left to their own devices, I know well how hard, how hard you have to work to get all of that communication right. So congratulations yeah. on, on, on to everyone involved in, in making it work. Thank I'm you. Whether coming out the other side of, of having to work so closely together with this unifying goal, um, have you noticed that that has helpful knock-on effects in terms of 
uh, bringing teams together and, and cross-team communication and so on? Yes, in particular, actually, um, the the use you thinking about supporter journey we've definitely got a long way still to go in terms of supporter journey work but we have started looking at mid-value program which we haven't looked at before and that's a direct collaboration obviously between our individual giving team and and high value um which is great but the, also i think that the, the relationships are becoming a lot more open there's more vulnerability there people are recognizing each other's skill sets for what they are so with the increased competition, for example, this year, particularly in London and Manchester, we actually relied quite a lot on our marketing team to drive some of the brand changes that we needed. And we relied on the community and events team to do quite a bit of the liaison with Just Giving so that we changed the way that people were fundraising for, for Sleep Out as well, so that people could fundraise as, as teams as well as individuals, um, so that people could fundraise in the way they wanted to. So there was actually... Uh, we've seen an actually really Im a, a strong improvement in terms of the way people see their own very, very strong skill sets, but also refer now to others when they see that others have a stronger skill set in some areas and really maximise the use of those skills to drive the income generation, which is great, actually. Really, really nice to see. It's, it's, it's so valuable and, and powerful if we make any progress at all in, in those kinds of directions. So then I've got a question... I would just like, like your opinion, really. The, the, the truth is, the vast majority of our listeners don't work for a homelessness charity. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I hope they're finding our, your experiences and our discussion interesting. But um, clearly, not every charity can go out and do a sleep out. That would be exactly defeating the, 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 the point I don't want them to make about finding something <laughs> that fits. Yeah, but yeah. I, I, you know, Nevertheless, I wonder if there are some of the ingredients of what you found to make your one fit that might, again, it might not be possible for every single cause out there. But if, if you were to give your opinion or your food for thought on how they might, either in terms of an event concept or some other bit of their proposition, mm. what's your advice of the key elements that they might take from this, even if they apply it in different ways? Yeah. So I think the key to a successful experiential event is to gain the insight and thought from the widest number of stakeholders you can. So fundraisers are very focused on the money, and rightly so, but there's a very fine line between a really successful experiential event and actually going into a space where actually the cause becomes tokenistic if you're not careful. Um, and that's the last thing you want to risk um, for your uh, beneficiaries or the audiences that you're supporting. So it's really important that you find that medium. And I think you can only find it when you have a lot of people challenging each other to make sure you get that product as right as it can be in your first year, in your first foray. I would also say, I think, that thinking about year one, as ever, your year one may lose money. Um, and thinking about how you test and learn and what you're going to test and what you're planning to learn in year one is all important. And making sure that your trustees recognize that this is a trial 
and that you don't expect to make huge amounts of gross income initially, because I think it's very easy to go into a space where if you overpromise and then it doesn't hit its targets, it just doesn't make it to year two, which would be really sad if actually it's showing initial traction in the market and actually keeping it and seeing what happens in year two could be really positive. So um, setting expectation, I think, is is all important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just on, on that, um, is, there, is there anything else you've learned about that, um, that testing period, uh, either with, with this particular event and, and and any interesting surprises you found or from any of your other roles where to increase the chances that, that we, that the testing initial phase was useful. We mm. learned from it and we kept going rather than give up. So I think preparation is everything. Um, and do as much research as you possibly can, both in terms of the environment that you're working in, but also in terms of, talking to your beneficiaries in particular and those you support to find out how this experience can be really a positive experience for the public at large or whoever your target audience is and in fact on that point being really clear about your target audience obviously is is paramount but also making sure that you really listen to your focus groups for example and you may well want to have a think about how then you position that product to make sure that people are people can back it you want people talking about it you want people promoting it and if they for any reason don't quite feel it's hitting the bill then they won't feel comfortable doing that so there's something about really bringing all your colleagues and um, volunteers and other audiences with you on the journey so they can really talk about it and sing about it and, and make sure that they're backing it which would be great and then in terms of testing, I think the, for me, the big thing is thinking about being really clear about what you're testing. I mean, you know, we, we know that uh, there are always instances where things don't go quite how we would like. Um, and then, uh, you know, pushing on the fact we've raised awareness doesn't crack it for a fundraiser. Um, so there's something about being uh, really clear about what we are testing and how we are going to monitor and evaluate that performance. And I think for that, use other colleagues in the sector. You know, you can't underestimate um, talking to other people who have set up new products in the market thinking about how they set their benchmarks for success and what they were looking for at that point, um, and really gaining as much knowledge sector-wide as you can before you start out, because that will stand you in excellent stead. And we know that we're surrounded by some hugely talented people in this sector who have done a lot of new product development before us. So you know, and and we know that we are we like to chat as fundraisers. So let's let's use that um, let's use that ability to chat and really learn from it. Um, thank you. And just before we move on to my my last few questions, I just wanted to drop in for the listener a couple of different ways of looking at experiential rather than this this kind of event. Um, one I really lo- liked seeing recently online was uh, Hope Locker. I don't know if you heard about that one i haven't seen that 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 WaterAid have done die but um people can check it out and i'll put it in the episode notes but the gist is it's a kind of uh gadget you can put in lockers at swimming pools 
and where normally you put a pound into the locker to make it lock and then you get the pound back at the end. Mm. Um, the, there's some electronic uh, wizardry in there. You put the pound in and there's a screen which, which shows that when you come back after your half hour swim, it gives you really strong stories and messages about during that half hour swim, you will have taken on board some water and it won't harm your health at all. But every minute a child dies somewhere because they drink some water, which is harmful. This money can be used to stop that happening. A, you're having someone connect to the cause in, a, in, a, in, a, in an interesting context. And B, a reason I really like it, is you're not having to ask someone for money because they've already put their pound in. They've already yeah. lost their pound. Yeah, and great, powerful storytelling. Sounds, yeah, sounds yeah. great. So I don't know uh, in depth about it. I, I, I just uh-huh. heard about it, and um, from what I saw, that you know, in, in the tests they've done, that 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 seems to be making twenty-two pounds per locker per week. And obviously, if you've got a bank of uh, twenty, thirty, forty lockers, then um, assuming you can invest in and pay for the technology, that's really powerful. So, and another one I really liked uh, two or three years ago that the DEC Disasters Emergency Committee did was they invited their uh, major donors, mid-level donors, corporate partners, and so on, other stakeholders, to a theatrical experience in a warehouse. And um, they hired uh, uh, some actors to create an experience for the audience of what happens when an earthquake strikes. And there were various scenes. There was the scene of what happens in on the ground, and there's the scene of what happens in the warehousing, and there's the scene of as you're going across on the ship to take the tents out or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was immensely powerful, I gather. Well, mm-hmm. maybe your version of that is not to go out and hire a, a playwright and, and t- 10 expert actors, but maybe your local college uh, does ha- have a, dr- a drama course and there's some students that might like to do something like that as a project for you. So mm-hmm. as, as with so many of the Bright Spot ideas that inspire me, I know that not every listener can do exactly what you've done with Sleep Out, but I hope no, of that something about the idea might inspire them. What essence could they take of what actually is at the heart of why it's working? Similarly, not many of our listeners are going to have access to that budget or, um, you know, technology that WaterAid are harnessing so effectively, but maybe it could cause us to think of just beyond the normal paradigms and more normal contexts in which we ask for a fundraising proposition to take place, but just think a little, quote, outside the box, where could something about our cause, the concept of our cause, or what our beneficiaries experience, is there a, a somewhere in our supporters' lifestyle where we could actually go and help them at some level get an aha moment? Yeah, absolutely. How you would respond to, to that kind of way of approaching this overall topic. Mm. And I think it's worth, from all of those things that you've just mentioned, experiential isn't necessarily about events. I mean, Sleep Out is an event. But if I think about Choose Love, which had the pop-up shop in, in Soho a year last Christmas, where they where you could go in and buy virtual gifts for refugees. It was a, an absolutely, for me, a really uplifting uh, experience to see something so tangible and the storytelling so vivid and the products that I could buy for refugees being so relevant and uh, so appropriate for the work that they were doing. Um, and it was really it was just lovely to see something new and refreshing in that space. And, and it is hard. Uh, it takes a lot of thought and a lot of determination to find 
a new way of portraying our causes. But hopefully that thinking would enable you to do that, which would be, you know, really great. Really great. Uh, so we need to um, finish fairly soon, Di. Thank you so much for all these ideas. Uh, in case people um, want to get in touch or send some feedback or or whatever are you on twitter and if so what's your twitter name uh, and or linkedin how could people get in touch yeah linkedin is best um i'm easy to find my surname is quite unusual so um uh, just find me on linkedin and do connect and ask me anything you'd like that'd be great very good um so without more ado Di, thank you so much. I, you're, you're as busy as ever at the moment and you've given up a really big chunk of time to share your your thoughts about the, the sleep night uh, and a whole bunch of other things besides. Um, I really appreciate it. I uh, look forward to catching up again soon. Thank you, Di Gornall. Goodbye. Thanks so much. Bye, Rob. Bye. So there are Di's reflections on what makes Centrepoint's sleep out event so important to their fundraising success and her ideas to make an experiential event or proposition work in other situations. If you'd like to see a summary of these ideas, do check out the episode notes I've put together on my website, which is brightspotfundraising.co.uk. And if you found today's episode helpful, please do share it with your friends and colleagues so that these sessions can reach and help more charities. If you'd like to see a film we made of the full interview, including what Di has learned about making decisions strategically when managing a portfolio of income streams, as well as the broader insights and influences that have helped her extensive career, I've posted the full interview in the Brightspot Members Club. If you're not a member of the club yet, but you'd like to find out more about how to access this whole library of training resources, coaching webinars and events, you can find out all about it at brightspotmembersclub forward slash join. Lastly, thank you so much for listening today. I really appreciate the effort it takes as a fundraiser or a leader to keep on learning, and I hope you found today's session was helpful. Have a great week, and I look forward to speaking to you next week with another Bright Spot interview. Mm-hmm.